0: and suggest future topics and guests.
1: Today, we're joined by Zoe Lee, owner of Lee & Partners Cannabis Law Office in Taiwan, where she represents a variety of clients, international and domestic, commercial and private, on exclusively cannabis and hemp-related cases. Zoe, welcome to Harris Brickens Global Law & Business.
2: Thank you for having me today.
1: Zoe, we would love to hear more about Better Call Zoe, which is your tagline for your law firm. We'd love to hear about your background and your podcast. Um, anything at all that you'd like to tell us about where you came from, and how you got to where you are now.
2: Thank you, Jonathan. Initially, I was planning to become a commercial lawyer, as everybody here, because that make you big money, I guess. I don't know, because I've never, never been one. <laughs> so um, I grew up, grew up in Taiwan, and in Taipei, actually, and um, spent 10 years in law school, including post and undergrade, majoring in... Um, I majored in juvenile delinquency which is a subject will make you big money so my mom was a little bit upset about that so um to make her happy I um spent some time to study on international commercial arbitrations actually I'm an associate member of CIRB which is a group big uh, commercial arbitration association I guess in 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 British, anyway, so that uh, that's the reason why I um, went to Paris for like a year. I was trying to make uh, do my another post grade in commercial law. But well, when the time I spent in Europe, I um, smoke weed, and I found it good. <laughs> so um, I started thinking about like, okay am I going to continue on being a commercial lawyer, being like a polish, like that kind of lawyers, you uh, maybe fly to different countries all the time. Like, do I really want to do that? Or I just want to do that to make my family happy. And I decided, no, I'm just going to do what I want to do. So I um, dropped the school, come back to Taiwan. And initially I... Um, haven't decided what kind of career I'm going to do. Because when you like have a student loan, you need income, right? So I went to like a lot of nightclub. I was like a party animal before. So waiting for the random police check. Every time they checked a guest in a nightclub, they always could, could always find drugs on them. So that's a time I can make money. So that's basically how I started in front a nightclub. And like it continued like for what two months and my mom is like really upset. She's like, Zoe, you cannot just go out like every night and like basically go out drink drunk in the morning and come back. It's not what a, com- a lawyer should be. I was like, okay, fine. So I gave up. I um become a work for the government to do transitional justice for a year. That's the limit. I, I cannot do that anymore. So I decided to have, a, have my own firm. Initially, just me. It was uh, March 2019. So I only focus on cannabis cases in Taiwan because cannabis is extremely illegal. It's basically the same schedule as mass amphetamine. If you trying to deal it even half grams, easily put in the jail for 10 years. So that's how I started my firm. And because I watch Netflix and stuff, so um, my friend says, oh, yeah, you should have a tech line called Better Call Zoe. And yep, I guess is how it started.
0: So Zoe, we do a lot of cannabis work at our firm. I think the first thing that i'd like to point out is that from just from from listening to to what you've described it is clear that the context in which you're operating is 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 very different obviously there are places in the us where there is still quite a bit of um criminalization of cannabis but especially in the states where where we have our our strongest presence we are seeing a lot of legalization initiatives so let's follow up on that when when we say that, that you're a cannabis lawyer. When when we say that you're doing cannabis law in Taiwan, what exactly does does that entail? Because I, I get the feeling that much of the work is is going to be focused on criminal law. Really is is that is that correct?
2: Yes, that's correct. Like ninety percent of the to- of my cases for now is criminal cases, but CBD also uh, a important product from cannabis and I think that's really profitable. In my firm, I still like, do some consulting for those CBD companies trying to sell their products to Taiwan. Because CBD is still in, like I would say, limbo area here. It's kind of medicine here. But you have to be, uh, have pharmaceutical license, then you can sell it. But you cannot sell it because you cannot prove that it's a medicine. Because in like outside Taiwan, they're just like a daily like supplement. Uh, besides, like GW, that four kinds of extreme like medicine, medicine. Mm-hmm. And the other funny part is, we cannot sell CBD here, but you can order it online imported from abroad. Which means that only foreign companies based outside Taiwan could do this business here. So, um, start with. A, um, a startup from California. Their two, the founder is two like uh, Taiwanese Americans. They were like, okay, uh, we're trying to do um, sell so CBDs to Taiwan. How should we do? And that's how it started. And goes on like I went to MJBizCon, and I believe is 2019 October. So we found a lot of opportunities, and I talked to some business. They're trying to or brands. They're trying to sell their product to Taiwan, and I helped them to basically go consulting to compliance, like how uh, to fulfill the, the the rules and standard in Taiwan. For example, um, in US, the CBD allows THC or any any um, cannabis product they allow 0.3% of THC, right? But in Taiwan, there's 10 ppm, which is 0.001% of THC. If you're above this level, that's drugs. That's nothotic. I know that sounds stupid. So basically, you cannot sell sell like full-spectrum CBD product here because it could easily over that standard that make you... If you ship it from abroad that's trafficking, basically 10 years in the jail, if you give it to your friend and you take a a little bit of money that's stealing, you're still facing 10 years in the jail. So some, to avoid this kind of situation, I will define it as commercial cases for those CBD sellers.
0: Let me just follow up. Here in the US, I guess it depends to, to some degree on which state you're talking about, but there there are certainly many places where there's CBD stores everywhere. From what you're describing, it seems that it, it would be much harder to 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 find it in Taiwan, right? It's it's not the sort of thing that you'd find at Seven Eleven, like you might hear. Correct?
2: Yes, correct. Not at all. You cannot sell any any product with CBD here in Taiwan. So it's not like. Like you walking around in in what Watsons, and you could buy like easily buy like um, lip lip on with CBD. No, um, but hemp seed product is fine. Like the body shop, they have different kinds of hemp seed products. That is fine, but CBD, everybody knows, is really useful and can replace a lot of. Um, I won't say medicine. Yes, but medicines, but. Still, like because Taiwanese government is a little bit um, stubborn, I would say. So, um, sadly, we yes, we cannot find any CBD product here in local store, but you can order it online.
1: Zoe, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your podcast because. We are getting an inside view now on what the cannabis situation is like in Taiwan, how how cannabis policy is is impacting your life and the lives of your clients. But can you tell us how you are, how long you've been doing your podcast, uh, what got you started into podcasting, and then how um, how you use the podcast as a platform to inform people and uh, probably also to generate some business.
2: My uh, podcast started on 2019 uh, October. And initially, just a friend of mine, um, they have a producing company called called Ghost Island Media. And they want to make a podcast talking about some legal, it's like um, legal knowledge, small one. And initially, they want to focus on like uh, female between 25 to 55, those kind of issues. Like they want, they were like, no. I spent three months trying to write the script and everything, and I was like, I, I cannot do this. And one day I was browsing online, I saw the Pop Brothers. I, I don't know if any of you hear about them. And basically, it's like two lawyers in based in California, and they just keep telling people like how they uh, should they say to when cops stop by and just simply shut the f- up. I was impressed that video I was like okay because it's exactly same situation happened here one day I was like a uh, working office like till midnight I uber home and uh, a police officer stopped by the just stopped the car asked me to take up my um, IDs and check they want to search my purse and said, "Oh, why are well, you working so late? What kind of job you're doing?" I was like, "This is not your business." And they started trying to like get me out of, grab me out of the car. I was really angry. I showed them my lawyer ID, and suddenly, like just like the next second, they become like extremely polite and say, "Oh, uh, it's so sad that you have to work this late. And stay safe. Bye." I was like, "Okay, this is not fair." So. That's how I started my um, first episodes, like how you should talk to police in under this kind of situation. You could say no for like random research, uh, random search on the street and become popular. And like a lot of cannabis users doesn't know, like because under Kind of as culture, you have to share, right? You pop, pop, pass. Sometimes you buy from your friend. But here, if you say something wrong, your sentence could easily run like two months or prosecutor could drop your prosecution easily up to like 10 years just because you say something wrong. So I'm just trying to that those users or people trying to smoke weed understand how serious the crime is. Or some like cannabis users, they will find cannabis seed here in cannabis flowers, right? They were trying to grow their own plant. So through the show, initially, I just want to that people know you shouldn't grow your own weed. It's safer to buy it. Or um, you shouldn't say, oh, I bought this pack of weed for my friend instead of you should say, oh, no, it's for myself. This kind of stuff. And gradually, I um, basically upload an episode every two weeks. I started to introduce cannabis industry abroad. The show, initially, I wasn't trying to say, like, legalization, doing this movement. Initially, I just want to, um, because cannabis has been demonized for decades and decades here, I just want to give the audience or the public a different point of view to see this magical plant. Yep. So it's been 52, 53 episodes now.
1: So where do you see cannabis policy and laws in Taiwan moving? Will, will they move? Will it stay put? Do you think this will be on a one to two year timeline, or are we talking another five to ten years before you see any significant movement?
2: I will say it will become full legalized in 10 years. Like, not just decriminalized. Actually, for now, it's de facto decriminalized right now in Taiwan. Like, just simply having uh, cannabis less than 20 grams won't. You won't get prosecuted. All you are facing is, and you use it, of course. And you're only facing uh, either going to rehab. That's sort of like jail for forty days, or you uh, have to go to the hospital to do therapies for two years. And both of this won't have you won't have criminal record at all. They will just drop the prosecution or defer the prosecution after you finish your therapy. So I will say that's a de facto decriminalization um, because you won't get punished. Yes, you get punished sort of, but um, technically you won't get punishment by smoking weed or having weed less than 20 grams. 20 grams is a lot. I mean, it's a lot. And also like um, Taiwan's uh, for the public's um attitude to weed. We um this year we just have our second time um cannabis festival on For 420. I believe it's a weekend before 420. There were three thousands, more than three thousand people go on the street. And that's like people are not scared about like afraid of showing their um attitudes like oh yeah we should be legal and we want to do um hemp research taiwan should grow hemp and also green party taiwan it's like green party is like everywhere i believe is the green party is in u.s as well and germany as well green party germany just saying uh they should they will got they will full legalize cannabis same here, we have the same attitude, saying like it's an election in 2000, it's 2020, I believe, one of policy is we should legalize medical cannabis. So I think after these two things, the public gradually understand, well, cannabis is not as evil as our drug education told us for a long time. It's natural. Plan and it's a profitable plan. So I think I think it's going well. Yeah.
0: Zoe, as we listen to what you have to say about cannabis in Taiwan, someone from the US, someone from Canada might think, well, this is a place that's a lot tougher than than my home country, right? If you look at the region, if you if you look at Asia going beyond cannabis for a bit, Taiwan is actually one of the more Liberal progressive societies in Asia, if not the most. Um, so so it's it I, I think there's a there's another way to look at this, right? I mean, if, if you're comparing to to a place like California or Oregon, then of course, the cannabis landscape in Taiwan is going to seem very restrictive. But if you're looking at some of the countries in the region, then probably it's the opposite. It's it's going to seem like a relatively liberal place. And I'd like to tie this into to to other issues. Um, For example, when it comes to same-sex marriage, Taiwan has certainly been a a leader in the region. So when I hear you predict that Taiwan could have full legalization in in a decade's time, I I find that plausible. I think that 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 is possible. I'd like to ask you for your thoughts on on this general idea of of Taiwan being perhaps a leader in the region for progressive ideas. Do do you see a relationship between what's happening in Taiwan when it comes to to other issues, again, issues like same-sex marriage and also Taiwan's very vibrant democracy? Do, Do you see a connection between that and the eventual legalization of cannabis?
2: Yes, I did see some like connections between that. But actually in Asia, a lot of countries has more progressive policies on cannabis issues. For example, Thailand. Thailand allowed they have um cannabis clinic right now. Basically as a government owned facilities where companies making tinctures with THC. And for the doctors in clinic to prescribe to the patients who need cannabis, like THC, not CBD. I'm not talking about CBD, there's THC there. So and for some um, patients, they could grow their own plants, like very few, but still. And in Japan, you could easily find uh, CBD product everywhere, like in convenience store, like um, that kind of like a dollar shop everywhere literally they could you could easily find like um cosmetics with cbd in there in korea korea has strict law on cannabis products but in their academic field they allowed a lot of researchers to research on how to grow weed i mean like white widows that kind of weed instead of industrial hemp, like in, uh, I forget which university in, in Korea, the agriculture department grow like an anchor of uh THC. Um, I believe is White widow. They're they're trying to see like the potential of this plant from perspective of, of agriculture. In China. China, and Yunnan, and Heilongjiang. Their government have industrial hemp farm. I know they just ban like a CBD to um uh for cosmetics, but still, still, that's the government see the potential of this plant, no matter it's with THC or not. And Hong Kong, Hong Kong even have CBD beer. So. I think those four regions or jurisdictions has um, more or less have like a more progressive policy on weed products, cannabis related products. Like in Taiwan, CBD, yes, you could have it. But if you have like full spectrum CBD, easily become like you processing weed. Also, I think the standard of, uh, as I just mentioned before, like the standard of THC in all cannabis products are different. And there's five like jurisdictions. Their standards follows, uh, the, I believe, is 0.2 or 0.3 percent. Now that's Taiwan. But as you just mentioned, I believe um, because we're relatively more liberal countries. So I think, I think that's really possible that uh, our government finally like, will end up, like, give up and embrace this new magical plan. And also, like, Green Party's new policy, we're trying to combine the agriculture policy, like, basically growing initial hemp are trying to promote this, uh, to lobby this to government, saying like, hey, we should allow our people to grow hemp because hemp is, there's no PhC in there.
1: So you mentioned politics in the Green Party and I'm very curious because uh, in researching your background, we saw that you are quite active in politics. Uh, and to, for some who, who know lawyers, they may think, well, that's not a strange thing for a lawyer to be involved in politics. But you do have quite an interesting background, so we'd love to hear more about how you got into politics and why and uh, what you feel like you are doing that is that is helpful to what's going on in Taiwan.
2: Initially, I after I finished my internship, I uh, worked for environment protection NGO. Uh, basically, it's an NGO um, Doing like uh, all the pro bono cases for environmental issues like anti-nuclear, like um, offshore wind. Actually, I'm still doing like some cases against offshore wind farms because they're jeopardizing our um, Taiwan White Dolphins, which only have less than 60 left. Anyway, so... All the environmental movement are really close to Green Party, of course. So that's how I um, started. And when the time I spent in Europe, I joined the Green Party, uh, Global Young Greens, which is an organization combined with all the young activities, like uh, focusing on basically uh, environment, human rights, um, this kind of matters. So it's basically how I started. After I come back to Taiwan, I was um it was 2017. Yes, I continued to do those environmental small movements. And yes, I getting I just getting deeper and deeper with Green Party here. So in the end, they asked me if I want to run for election as a legislator. I was like, okay, uh, but I'm going to promote legalization of cannabis. Is that okay, for you guys. And they were like, yeah, we want to do that since 1995, but we think, we believe this is the right moment to speak it out loud. So basically, it's how that happened.
1: And so I'm really curious now, how does your mother feel about your current career trajectory right now that you're in? you're a full-fledged lawyer, you're doing some commercial work, You're involved in politics. Uh, You're quite a thought leader within this uh, space in Taiwan. So how does she feel about where you are now?
2: (laughs) Actually, she doesn't know what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) Just like, oh, yes, now you have a firm with, yeah, three other lawyers. Good. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I I dress up like, you know, commercial lawyers go to office. Yes, my hair color is a little bit weird. It's like blue green, but. She doesn't really understand what I'm doing. Like, yep. It's like sometimes when I uh, went before the pandemic, when I go abroad, I smoke weed, I post pictures. And my mom was like, hey, you shouldn't smoke. She thought that was cigarette.
0: Zoe, I'm curious about a couple of things. I'll ask you these two questions might be something you can incorporate into one answer. First, I mean, I'm, I wonder if there is any support for, for cannabis legalization within one of the major parties in Taiwan. I'm, I'm going to go out and on a limb here and assume that probably within the Kuomintang there's not a whole lot of that. But I'm just wondering if perhaps within the governing party there might be some figures that are at least Somewhat open to the idea of legalizing adult use cannabis or further legalization of, you know, CBD products, for example. And then the the other question, somewhat related to that, in your advocacy regarding cannabis related issues, I'm, I'm just curious about who else gets involved in Taiwan. We, we know that you're the only lawyer specializing in, in cannabis. So presumably there's probably not many other uh, lawyers getting involved with that, or perhaps there are. But, but I'm just curious, who are the figures that are leading advocacy efforts for, for cannabis in Taiwan?
2: To answer your first questions, like for major parties, either KMT, DPP, or New Power Party, well, under table, like I talk to them, all of them. Not every single person, of course, but some uh, lawmakers from either KMT or DPP, even New Power Party, and yeah, some other some small parties, they are all like really open. You're like, oh, I don't think that's an issue. I I think should be okay, especially for medical use, cannabis should be fine. But but uh, I don't think this is a appropriate time to bring it up to the public, basically. All of them saying that so that's pretty sad but not really because um, at least I know they're secretly secretly open to weed that's one thing like a doctor I, I cannot say his name from KMT he was former uh, legislator he say oh, we shouldn't uh, start with medical use And, like, for adult use, we should be just directly goes to, like, full legalization. I was like, okay, and how should we do? Can we we talk to, like, higher county people or something? It's like, uh, no. (laughs) That's one thing. The other person, um, he was, I I think he's still saying, uh, Freddie Lim, um, former New Power Party um, lawmaker also the metal music singer, he, uh, before he got elected, is really supportive on legalization. And after he got elected as legislator, he just stopped bringing, just talking about this issue. Yeah, this is pretty sad. But DPP, well, DPP people, they were, um, I guess it's four years ago when Tsai Ing-wen on her first term, She just got elected. That's um, working group to do all the for all like drug users. We um, not we they want to be uh, decriminalize it instead of put them in the jail, but put them into hospital. But they got really bad um, criticized from public, so they just uh, DPP just. Stay low key, keep working on that policy instead of saying out loud, saying like uh, we should decriminalize all the drug users. So that caused the de facto decriminalize for drug users. I just meant, uh, like I mentioned earlier in this um, interview. So, yes, there are other. People leading on, not I won't say leading. I, I mean, I will say speak out loud on legalization, like Doctor Lai and South in in that's as my um, my friend, and also the other Doctor Doctor Kong. Oh, his ancestor is Confucius, like real for real, like on, on record. That person, uh, Doctor Kong, is a very interesting person. He is in his early 60s normally people will imagine like older people will be more conservative on weed or stuff but he's quite open he says he's the first doctor prescribed cbd in taiwan so i think that's very um helpful because before before 2019 people um doing a legalization movement for the public be just a group of stoners, and people criticize those um, uh, uh, groups are like, are you guys just like a drug head? You just want to smoke? You just want to like do crimes? But after 2019, the first uh, 420 Festival, it was only, I guess, less than 300 people joined. We got small like media cover. We invited doctors, PhDs, um, lawyers um, to speak out loud saying, yes, we support legalization. And gradually, people, I mean, the random public, seemed this movement more positive. That's sad. I mean, everybody should like uh, qualify to speak out loud for um, their, um, how to say, their opinion. But it seems like only like if, uh, if you have like higher social standard quote quote, quote, quote quote social standards, then you have louder voice. That's pretty sad.
0: Zoe, just have one question, one follow-up question to, to some of the issues we've been describing. Earlier, you talked about the relationship between cannabis law and, and criminal procedure, which is going to be present in in, in, in every um, jurisdiction really. I'm curious as to whether there are differences in the way the existing laws are enforced. And specifically, I'm wondering if there are some groups that find themselves subject to stricter enforcement by the police. I'm wondering if, you know, if you're comparing the chances that, let's say, someone who's going to a top university who occasionally smokes with with uh, his or her friends, compare that to someone who is of more humble origin, someone who's working in a job in the service industry that doesn't enjoy perhaps the the same standing as someone who is either a student or a professional, right? Someone who's a lawyer, who's a doctor. Are there differences in the way police deal with people or in your experience, is the treatment by police more or less uniform across the different levels of society?
2: Sadly, I have to say, police do have different attitude towards to different kinds of people. I'm, I'm not kinds of people like, like, like for example, like police normally won't harass um people wearing suits standing on the street during the day during the daytime, like, which is. A stereotype of higher, quote, unquote, higher social standards, that kind of, not that kind of people, like pe- police tend to like harass those citizens um, looks more vulnerable, which is maybe lack of like legal knowledge. Maybe they're more scared about cops, like afraid of saying no. Like, uh, for example, like police just could easily stop by people, like look like a worker, and just say, "Hey, I want to check your bag. I want to check your pocket. What's in your pocket? I already see it. Take it out." But normally, you won't see like cop like harass like uh, people with suits like this. That's a really bad thing. And even in police station, if somehow you like you're rich you're just like a rich boy grow like two plants in your room police will treat you really nice but if you're just a random kid with like maybe a grain of weed in your pocket they could like they would like threat you or something this is really bad but they um at least they they still have to follow the criminal procedure here like you can uh, they'll still appoint you a lawyer if you don't have any there's a legal ad foundation and the other interesting part is the police or authority here somehow has a weird uh, stereotype for to the foreigners or yeah basically foreigners like they all smoke weed so so like uh police will like to um go to like clubbing area run and check different faces saying like you're smoking weed I'm going to harass you or like uh you must smoking in weed Some most of the time people just like smoke like random like normal cigarette and they still got harassed yes, so I will say there's a kind of discrimination definitely but I don't know, like, authority, some of prosecutors will see it and they will, like, um, they, they know that's wrong. But I will say most of the time they just, just want to close the cases as soon as possible. And the other thing is if you have better education background or you look like you're a legit person, in court or in prosecutor's office, you got higher chance to walk away from the case or have another chance, not going to jail. But if you just look like, yeah, I'll do that again, or you look, you just don't know how to talk to prosecutors or uh, judges, and you're you're doomed. Yeah, basically is what that happens. So this is sad. I, I hate to say this, but it's like what really happened in Taiwan. We always say we have very um, democratic uh, system or um, justice system as very, um, what, complete or something. But no, there's still some a lot of space to improve yeah like like the day like i got i got i got stopped by like police just because I have weird hair color and i doesn't i didn't dress like i'm I'm a lawyer because that day I don't have to see any clients and i I was on the street in the midnight maybe maybe the police thought I was like what prostitute or something so they they were really mean to me and at the moment they realized no this person is a lawyer then become like extremely polite and follow all the rules they have followed. So if that happened to me, that might happen to other people, any random person on the street.
1: It's been really great having you on the podcast today. Great to enjoy your insight, your experience, and certainly your wealth of, of knowledge. We always like to end our podcast with recommendations from you and from Fred and me. So I'd like to start with you. Do you have anything that you recommend for the audience to listen to or watch?
2: I want to recommend a podcast called The Taiwan Take, as in English. If any of our, your audience interested in Taiwan's politics, cultures, or other, basically what happened here, that's a good uh, show. And also two Netflix documentary. One is uh, a Grass Is Greener. That's I believe the director will produce producers. Is Snoop Dogg is talking about cannabis, how it become illegal and become legal, sort of in U.S. The other one is Have a Good Trip uh, Adventure on Psychedelics, also the Netflix show talking about psychedelics. Those are good, but it'd be better like when you watch it, um, not sober.
1: And of course, we want to mention your podcast as well, which is in Chinese. It's Da Ma Fan Bu right? Is that how you pronounce it?
2: Correct. Correct. Oh, you pronounce it perfectly.
1: So that'll be, that'll be fun for any, and we'll make sure that we, uh, if, you're, if you're listening to this and you want to know how to find it, we'll make sure we have the link for you in the blog post that accompanies this. Fred, what do you have for us? I would like to recommend a movie called The
0: Endless Trench. It's a Spanish movie available on Netflix and essentially tells the story of a man who during the Spanish Civil War hid in a small enclosure that he had prepared in his home for that eventuality and ended up staying in there for something like three decades. I mean, he actually moved to a slightly bigger space um, in in the movie, but still ended up uh, spending all of those years in hiding, and I think the most interesting part of of, of the of the story is, is the fact that this is based on real life events, not not one person in particular, but there were actually many instances of people in Spain who went into hiding during the Civil War, and when their side lost the war, found themselves stuck. Right? I mean, they were counting on victory for the republican side so even though this story itself is fictional it is to some degree based on on stories that that happened in in real life where people spent uh up to three decades or or even more in hiding and had to you know watch us as, as life went on so i thought it was well done once again the endless trench available on netflix and jonathan what about you
1: this week, I'm recommending Foreign Policy's South Asia Brief. And I've recommended their China Brief. They have several of these. They have one for Africa as well. Um, this Today, I'm talking about South Asia Brief because it focuses on India and its immediate neighbors. And uh, as they like to to say, that this part of the world is uh, comprised of one quarter of the world's population. So a lot of things going on, India, Pakistan, Nepal, and of course, uh, others that I'm forgetting but the, and Madeline, cut that out so I don't sound so stupid, okay? But I love this because it comes out once a week. And it's a good summation of things that I would not otherwise pick up in the mainstream media. Um, I would probably have to follow Twitter compulsively to be able to pick up on some of these stories. And it, it's a great insight, a great wrap-up for the region. Certainly, China gets a lot of uh, a lot of press. And uh, South Asia is uh, what we think the up-and-coming uh, area that that will uh, not, if not displace China, at least uh, continue to emerge as a an important uh, geopolitical and, and business area of the world. So, highly recommend that foreign policies South Asia brief. With that, Zoe, we'd love to thank you again for spending time with us. We appreciate you you getting up early, and we're staying up late. And we're glad that we could make this work. Thanks for being on the show with us today.
2: Thank you for having me today.
1: Global Law and Business is a production of Harris Bricken. The team includes Madeline Williams and Michaela Moore. The music is composed by Stephen Schmidt. If you like the show, subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review there. We like to hear what you think of the show, and it helps new listeners find us. Tune in next week for another episode. We'll see you then.